0: Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Tuesday, September 5th. We have so much to catch up on from the past two days of action at the 2023 US Open, so much so that we've decided to make today a two-mini-break podcast Tuesday, one episode catching up on all things before we head into the quarterfinals of the Women's Singles Action, one episode to catch up on all things heading into the quarterfinal round of the men's singles action as well. Of course, I should start today's episode by apologizing for the lack of U.S. Open podcasts on our two feeds, this feed and our Great Shot podcast feed. Yesterday, I traveled back to Michigan. I'm home for my youngest cousin on my mom's side, Spot Mitzvah. It's the last one of nine in our family, going to be a very exciting weekend. But of course, we have an exciting week, our final week of Grand Slam Tennis Ahead. So I promise Monday, the exception, not the rule. That will be our only day this week without a podcast. We'll make up for it here today by, again, featuring a two mini break podcast Tuesday. One episode catching up on all things women's singles action. One episode catching up on all things men's singles action. This show is going to focus on the women's side of things and Boy, do we have a lot to discuss here on this episode. Obviously, the biggest storyline of the round of 16: the elimination of world number one, defending champion, and top seed Iga Swiatek. She now moves to 0-4 in her career against Yelena Ostapenko, the 26-year-old former French Open champion. Stunning at times in a three-set victory over the world number one. Now, it wasn't the best day at the office for Iga Sviantec, and there were certain tactical things I noticed that, dare I say for the first time, I got frustrated by. We can discuss those things from Iga's perspective here on today's show. Of course, I feel like I always have to explain why this loss is the furthest thing from a need to Uh, It's the furthest thing away, excuse me, from generating a need for Team Iga to hit the panic button. She has been on a ridiculous three-year run as she approaches her age 23 season in 2024, sitting just fine, not just in a 2023 sense, but in a historical sense for the things she is still potentially able to accomplish throughout her career. Anyways, that's a long opening tangent. I'm going to play some eager defense here today, but certainly got to compliment all things Yelena Ostapenko. She just, she has that edge to her. As the kids say, she's got that dog in her. She just has that ability, that self-belief that regardless of who is on the other side of the net, her ability to strike a tennis ball is just better than anyone else's on the world on any given day and I feel like we saw that in her round of 16 three set upset so obviously there's a minute and a half on that match now that is the biggest storyline that's where we have to lead today's show but I mean look there were some other doozies I know people were talking about the Coco Goff Brad Gilbert spat after Caroline Wozniacki forced a third set against Goff now it does feel worth noting Goff kind of cruised through that third set and Tennis Abstract entering the quarter final round now has her as the favorite to win the title. Players also get mad at their coaches. So there's me addressing that incident right here at the top. But look, for Coco Goff to get through with, to the quarterfinals, all sorts of momentum at her back. We can talk about her three-set victory. How about the player that, in my opinion, has maybe impressed versus her expectations relative to the event more than anyone else, Madison Keys? Oh, my God, did she dominate Jessica Pagula in their round of 16 battle. I'm going to break down all eight round of 16 matches for you. We'll talk about Arena Sabalenka's continued dominance, a breakthrough moment for Jung Chin Wen, which, by the way, we forecasted on this show for the past two weeks, really for the past season. Finally, the 20-year-old from China has her breakthrough moment here in New York. We'll break down all the wins again. Ostapanko, Goff, Keys, Chinwen, Sabalenka, Vondrusova, Muhova, kurstea It's a really fun quarterfinal field in this women's draw, and I want to set the scene for all of you listeners. Again, not just break down those eight round of 16 matches, but offer brief previews for each of those quarterfinals as well. We'll get back to previewing matches on our Great Shot podcast feed here on Tuesday for all of Wednesday's matches, but again, brief quarterfinal previews for all of these women's singles quarterfinals plus round of 16 recaps. That's going to be the agenda here on today's show. Of course, a shout out to all of you listeners for tuning in day in, day out. A shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. By the way, happy belated Labor Day to all of you here in the United States that I don't know if that's a holiday we celebrate other than everything's closed for the day and we kind of all have the day off. So I hope you all enjoyed your Labor Day. I know in my home state of Michigan, it's post-Labor Day that most schools get underway. So if you are someone in school listening to this show, hopefully you are enjoying your return back to the classroom. Hopefully, whether it's a free period or maybe you're able to sneak in a headphone during a boring lecture, we'll offer you a little entertainment for your school day. Certainly some podcasts to listen to as you commute to and from wherever it is you're going here on Tuesday. Again, all of that said, round of 16. Women's Singles recap, round of, uh, excuse me, quarterfinal women's singles preview. That's the agenda for this podcast. We'll do the men's equivalent later today with all of that established. Let's get into today's show. And again, the place we have to start slash continue off on. Iga Shvantec's been eliminated. Yelena Ostapenko just had herself a day. Ostapenko overcoming a 3-6 first set deficit to earn a 3-6, 6-3, 6-1 victory. Look, I've made this Ostapenko point all season long, she's one of 11 players who has pretty consistently been top 25 in both hold and break percentage this season. Obviously, she had a signature run, a signature moment in her run to the title in Birmingham back on the grass courts. Now, we were still waiting for that signature— Well. It's tough to say because we saw this level from her at a major on hard courts earlier this year, right? Ostapenko sort of put together this same performance in a round of 16 straight set victory over Coco Gauff in the round of 16 in Australia. Hadn't done much at the major since. Second round exit Roland Garros, second round exit Wimbledon, but... Look, obviously, we know this is the sort of tennis Yelena Ostapenko is capable of playing, and her win percentage this season, 65.3%. It's the second best of her career, trailing only that breakout 2017 season. Now, it does feel worth noting she's improved her win percentage in each of the past four seasons, and look, Ostapenko came out so hot. We knew her ceiling from the time she was maybe even 15 years old, if you followed the juniors, certainly 16, 17, when she started to compete at the tour level. She's 19 years old, or maybe had just turned 20 when she won that French Open title back in 2017. We all very quickly got, uh, were were given notice, excuse me, of what Yelena Ostapenko's ceiling match in match out is and i've said this frequently over the years she is the strangest property owner at serena williams power tennis country club her house is the one in the back of the neighborhood some halloweens all the lights are off she puts a bowl of candy on the front porch you take it till it's gone. That's all the effort she's given that Halloween. That's all the effort Ostapenko gives some matches. But there are those other Halloweens where Elena Ostapenko decides to go all out and she's got someone hiding in the bushes. The decorations are out. She's not giving out single, you know, small candy bars. No, she's giving out the full-size Hershey. She's giving out a king-size Reese's to the early goers come Halloween. She brings the goods and this was one of those days where it just felt like every return of serve, she saw it like a beach ball. And she was teeing off so cleanly. She wins 18 of 29 points on the Iga Swiatek second serve. Now, Iga did some damage of her own on Ostapenko's second serve. Iga winning 18 of 24 points, 75% of her second serve return points. Iga does generate uh, four breaks on seven break chances in this match. Ostapenko was just better as a returner. And it's very, very rarely that you say that about anyone versus Iga Shviantek. This is someone who's had a break percentage of over 50% for two and a half consecutive years now. That's historic levels of success as a returner for Iga Sviantek. Didn't matter. Ostapenko was more imposing with her return of serve. Felt like every kick serve that sat up, Ostapenko was was driving through is the best way to play it. And again, it was the depth, obviously the pace on her return of serve is remarkable as well, but it's that depth that really caused Svantec troubles. And this is where tactically, look, Iga Svantec, what has taken her from top five player to unequivocal world number one, it's that ability to use her physicality, use her weapons, and hold the baseline in doing so. Her ability to use her speed to beat you to the spot, to hit that sliding backhand cross court with depth. You thought you had time that she was going to have to hit something on the stretch. Nope. She got there to the spot. She got there at the baseline. She beats you to the spot. There's too much pace. Too much depth coming off of Ostapenko's racket forced Sviantek to beat Ostapenko to the spot, and you know statistically, Iga 18 winners against unforced errors according to the numbers. I would love to have seen a forced error count. How many errors did was Iga forced into by that pace, by that depth of Yelena Ostapenko, who had a very clear-cut game plan: sea ball, hit ball, big. We're not here to play five, ten-shot rallies. We're not here to put on a physical show for the crowd that's watching. No, I'm here to win this match. I'm here to take advantage of any short ball that I see. Depth into that Svantec forehand more often than not was the early rally recipe for Ostapenko. Look, she just had one of those days. 31 winners against 20 unforced errors. She made 65% of her first serves. She won 73% of those first serve points. And I've run the numbers. Ostapenko this year, while she's winning a good percent of of her matches anyways, when she makes over 60%, of her first serves, is winning 80% of those matches this season. And that first serve is what so often struggles. And even when she's having success breaking serve, you look for Yelena Ostapenko so far this season, break percentage on hard courts. Ostapenko, uh, one of the top 10 players in the world by break percentage via that stat. But, you know, again, it's the hold percentage where things have started to slip for Ostapenko this season. And, you know, again, that's where she served, dare I say, well enough on this day, that she was ultimately able to grind through a struggling Sviantek. And, you know, again, this is one of my things for Iga. I say this about Carlos sometimes as well, and they're both so young. So you do think that this is a gear three, four down uh, years down the road. They both will develop They're obviously elite athletes. They're 99.999% of the time the best athlete on the court, and they use their speed, they use their strength, they use their overwhelming pace to hold the baseline, to impose themselves, to dictate from start to finish in a match. That's what makes them each so special, of course, because Iga, Carlos can play their game style against anyone in the world. But they're both so talented. They're both so physically gifted, and you just wonder sometimes if it might be, it might behoove of them to try out Plan B, to try out Plan C, to rely more on that physicality and out grinding their opponents and slowing things down and not feeling a need to rush into the first change of direction down the l- down the line ground stroke opportunity that presents it uh, themselves for it. That felt like that was the pressure for Iga that she just overextended herself that she felt the weight of Ostapenko's aggression so much so that again. She was rushing. She was impatient in ways just Iga Sviantek never needs to be. And so, you know, more than anything else, I would say that's why the loss – Surprised me, not because Ostapenko won the match. Again, she's won 65% of her matches this year. She's 32 and 17. She's now made quarterfinals at each of the hardcore majors. We know Ostapenko, and she's 4 0, by the way, against Iga. Her pace has always been a problem for Iga to deal with, even if, again, they've played 7 6 in the third. Last time they faced off, now this was another 6 1 in the third set sort of match. It's also worth pointing out these past two days in New York have been brutally hot. Brutally humid. You can see the wear and tear within the first 30 minutes on all of these players' faces. You're just sweating a little bit more than usual. Ega looked uncomfortable through the duration of this match. Even, you know, she goes down an early break in this match, now immediately gets that break back in set number one. And, you know, first set was never really in doubt, but from even in that, you know, I guess even in that first set though it felt like we were playing on Ostapenko's terms and Ostapenko just hadn't yet found her rhythm in set number 1 the way she would really towards the back end of set number 1 and then through sets numbers 2 and 3 again the issue for Igo was she was spraying it just the forehand wasn't there the serve wasn't there and because the serve wasn't there, the forehand wasn't there, because, again, the depth, the pace on those Ostapenko returns, the ball just got into the body so quickly on Iga Swiatek. It was a brilliant match from Yelena Ostapenko. Now, the question is, can she back that level up? She's the noon match on Tuesday, taking on Coco Gauff. Gauff, obviously, who we're going to get into in a second, three-set winner over Wozniacki. She played earlier in the day. She has about six to eight hours more of rest. Now, I don't think that's going to make the biggest difference in the world because, again— more than anything else, I look at Astapenko and I say, well, this is her fourth consecutive three-set match. She's played three sets against Paolini, Barra, Sh- Uh, uh Para, and Sviantek. You just figure at some point she runs out of gas. And if you don't have a full tank of gas, you take on the physicality of Coco Gauff, who, yes, has played a couple of three-set matches herself at this event, but... 19 years old, you're never worried about the freshness of Coco Goff's legs. I hesitate to forecast this being the start of another breakout run or one of those slam moments for Yelena Ostapenko. But again, certainly a remarkable victory. And with this win, with Sabalenka's win in uh, the round of 16, we have a new world number one, Arena Sabalenka, who becomes, I think, one of 14 players in tour-level history to reach world number one in both the singles and and the doubles rankings, and it's a remarkable accomplishment, something, again, we can spend more time talking about in the future uh, when we get to Sabalenka's match. For now, just again, let's look at Iga. 66-12 and in her last 52 weeks, 56-10, and she's won 85% of her matches this season. She wins another French Open title. She makes round of 16, so second week at all four majors that she plays, loses to Rabakina in Australia, eventual champion, the Svitolina three set loss i suppose a little disappointing in Wimbledon you know this is a three set loss to Ostapenko i don't know you know this reminds me of the Rabakina loss in Australia where just the power tennis player was able to disrupt Shvientech on this given day where Sviantek wasn't quite you know again i think Rabakana took the racket out of Shvientech's hand more than Ostapenko did on this day i think Iga didn't serve particularly well that's why she wasn't able to get through but I have no concerns about Iga. She's made 13 consecutive second weeks at the majors. That's, I think, second most all time behind the ridiculous streak that Mertens put together. And again, she's 22 years old, and she's already made double-digit second week at majors. She has four slam titles to her name. Yes, she'll drop off of world number one for the first time in like 75 weeks, but she's already accumulated 75 weeks at world number one as a 22-year-old. You know, again, she came out of the season with a slam. Anytime you're uh, you're not even ostensibly in your prime and you come out of a season with a slam, it's a successful season. She's two in the live ranking. She trails Sabalenka right now by 201 points. And, you know, even if Sabalenka—well, if Sabalenka wins this event, she's got a pretty good grip on world number one for the remainder of the year. But certainly— you know again, right now in the points race, Sviantec's about four hundred and thirty five points behind Sabalenka could still hypothetically catch her this year with Guadalajara, with San Diego, with the tour uh to the year end finals, excuse me, still on the schedule. Sviantech's just fine. Top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Again, had a bad day at the office, and Ostapenko was playing well enough, and she is one of those players, high-variance players, that will punish Svantec when the errors begin to pile up. And again, it says only 18 unforced errors. I think there were more than that. Watching the course of this match, I think Iga just pressed a little too tightly to that baseline, didn't allow herself to make the match as physical as perhaps she should have, although again, it was so hot, so humid. Who knows how likely that would have been. Ostapenko through in three sets. Again, a, a job very well done and certainly your biggest storyline as it opens up the entire top half of the draw. And now, Coco Gauff is your favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. 27.6% chance of advancing to the round, uh, excuse me, to the uh, 27.6% chance of advancing to the title. That's how you say that in English. Look, again, Good performance for her. Ultimately, a three-set win, 6-3, 3-6, 6-1 over Caroline Wozniacki. You know, you look for Goff, 33 winners against 44 unforced errors, but 22 of those 44 unforced errors came in set number two, where it just feels like right now Coco Goff is developing, by the way, that gear as well, that gear Sviantek has of using her athleticism, using her overwhelming speed to instead of out physicaling you she's now beating players to the spot she's hitting that forehand more aggressively down the line she's always been successful redirecting that backhand following that shot forward but it's the potency of the serve the forehand combination how much more confident and willing she is to move behind a ball to the net early in the rally i mean her ability to finish points comfortably That was the biggest difference in this match. She goes 20 of 27 at the net to Wozniacki's 8 of 12. She hits 33 winners to Wozniacki's 14. You know, again, 44 on four stairs to 27 on Wozniacki's side. That's why this match goes three sets. And, you know, for Caroline Wozniacki, who announced, I think she's shutting things down until Australia next year. She had a remarkable run reaching the fourth round of this U.S. Open, getting, you know, real top 20 win over Petra Kavitova, getting a real three-set win over a very much informed Jennifer Brady now pushing Coco Gauff to the brink. She just didn't have a big enough weapon to hurt Coco Goff with. And yes, Coco Goff's forehand broke down a little bit in set number two. It did feel like she was pressing perhaps a little bit too much in set number two, but it all leveled things out in set number three. She goes from 22 to eight unforced errors, hits 11 winners in that match, uh, in that set, 12 of 13 at the net in set number three in particular. It did feel like, again, you know, it was... Knock on the wall, knock on the wall, knock on the wall. Eventually, tear the wall down for Coco Gauff, her ability to break through that Wozniacki barrier of defense, and again, ultimately pull through in three. A really nice win for Coco Gauff, who again is now the favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to capture the 2023 U.S. Open title. What a moment that would be for New York, and you know, again. Things clear up for her in facing Elena Ostapenko in their quarterfinal. You look at the career head-to-head uh, between these two, Goff, Ostapenko. I believe they have indeed faced off before, and you look overall where they faced off, what those matches have looked like. They're 1-1 one one, uh, so far. Uh, excuse me. Ostapenko 1-0 against Goff so far this year, beating her at the Australian Open. Goff, a three-set win over Ostapenko, indoor hard courts in a final at the end of 2019 in Linz. I mean, again, Ostapenko has the pace to play through the golf forehand to make her uncomfortable. It's actually a very similar game plan. I know this is crazy to say. I've said it though before. I think there are a lot of. Sim- I-, I often have said, Iga Shvian- or Coco Goff is point eight seven percent of Iga Sviantec, and when you're 87 percent of a -a once-in-a-lifetime generational talent, you know, you're a hell of a player yourself and a generational talent yourself. Now, Goff is probably, with her improvements over the past couple of years, and keep in mind, she's three years younger than Iga, she's probably lifted that number to 93 percent of Iga at her peak. It's a very similar matchup for Ostapenko. Has to go about attacking Coco Goff in very similar ways. Now, I do think Goff will be a little bit more patient in this match. I also, just having seen the way Ostapenko blitz through Shviontek, she'll try to work those legs for Ostapenko, make things physical. Now, again, how much gas does Ostapenko have left in the tank? That's... I think my biggest question leading in, it was my biggest question in heading into the Sviantek match. It's why I lean Sviantec so heavily. I was obviously wrong there. I don't think I'm going to be wrong twice. I'm going to take Coco Goff to win her serve, her ability to pressure Sviantek, get her stretched in the outer third, her ability to absorb pace. When Sviantec takes that forehand line in particular, I think Coco Goff's ready for this matchup. I think this is the one she gets through comfortably, and then she's into the semifinals, and now Coco Gauff's a part of championship weekend, and the entire tennis world benefits from that fact. I, not that we wouldn't have benefited from having Iga as well. I'll take Gauff over Ostapenko in quarterfinal number one. Going to go a little bit quicker through the rest of these. Let's move over to my next most fascinating result. We're going to stick with the Americans. We had four Americans in action, uh, two and two overall on the day, Gauff winning, and then of course, we were guaranteed a second win with Madison Keys, Jessica Pagula going head to head. I've alluded to this earlier in the event, but maybe after seeing the match now, people will believe me. Madison Keys is playing the best tennis of her career in 2023. Like the numbers say it, and now so unequivocally at this U.S. Open, the eye test says it as well. If you watched her blitz through uh, her opening two round matches, if you watched her out power Ludmilla Samsonova in round number three seeing keys dominate in what was ultimately a comprehensive 6-1-6-3 straight set victory over the definitive world number three and Canada champion in Jessica Pagula it was vintage keys it's why she has Serena Williams power tennis country club adjacent level power it's why she gets the invite on weekends and can come hang out at the club she was very clear First five shots, I'm moving forward. I'm hitting something big. I'm coming to the net if the opportunity presents itself. She was not there to play around. She was not there to try to out-physical Jessica Pagula. She was not there to try to wear down Pagula, not necessarily in a physical sense, but attack a backhand specifically, attack a forehand specifically. There was no clear-cut tactic other than see ball, hit ball big, move forward behind it, and right now, Madison Keys is executing that game plan at an elite level. Even better, I would say, than Yelena Ostapenko has executed uh, executed it against Iga Svantec. I mean, it was breathtaking stuff for Pagula. I know it says 21 winners against 19 unforced errors. The biggest number is Jessica Pagula hit only six winners. In the match, she was two of nine moving forward to the net. She was broken in five of her what? What's what's seven plus nine? Sixteen. She was broken in five of her eight service games. You know, she generated one break point for herself. She managed to get that break uh, in set number two. I believe was when that break came. Yeah, set number two is when that break came. Set number one, a clean sheet for Madison Keys, who, by the way, 13 of 15 on first serve points in that opening set speaks to, again, how dominant, assertive she was with the first strike. I mean, I know I used this phrase earlier. She's just seeing the ball like a grapefruit. Right now, she's moving extraordinarily well. She was able to extend some rallies any time Pagula threw in a slice. It was unloaded down the line by Madison Keys. She was blitzing the forehand return of serve, in particular on the deuce side down the line, so well there was, you know, you could see the resignation in Pagula's face in the post-match handshake. It was just one of those days or someone in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, or adjacent to it as Madison Keys is, she just took the racket out of Jessica Pegula's hand. And look, 30,000-foot view, it's a very disappointing loss for Pegula. She had been one of the—I mean, she is one of the definitive players of this 2023 season. Fourth in the points race, fourth in the live rankings now. She'll fall behind Elena Rybakina after this result— She's gonna make the year-end finals. She's put together another top-end, top eight season. She's kept herself in that top tier mix all year long, regardless of surface. I'm telling you, I know thirty thousand foot view. This loss looks disappointing. Go watch the film. This match has everything to do with Madison Keys, who, by the way, now back-to-back quarterfinals for Madison Keys at the majors. She did it at Wimbledon. Now she does it here at the U.S. Open. I believe she's. It's her tenth quarterfinal at the majors in her career. Anytime you get to double digits, that's a special number. By the way, Coco Gauff, the first American teenager, I believe, and I, all these stats, as always, courtesy of our friend Opta Ace. Over the past couple of days, you look for Coco Goff in reaching the, the quarterfinals again. She goes on an elite list, uh, list of like Serena Venus as teenagers to do it You know, again, you look for uh, Ostapenko in beating, uh, or excuse me, not for Ostapenko. You look uh, for Madison Keys again, in earning this victory uh, over Jessica Pagula. She has indeed reached her 10th career uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal. She's the 16th U.S. player to do it. She equals Andrea Yeager, Nancy Ritchie with such a tally. Again, double digits is the real deal. And with her and Goff both reaching the quarterfinals, I believe, you know, again, it's the first time we've had two Americans through the quarterfinal round in a couple of years as well. Actually, that might not be true. I think we got cough and Pagula through last year. Anyways, shout out Opta Ace for the stats. I apologize for losing the thread there. We got a lot of tennis to catch up on. Again, one of my biggest takeaways: Coco uh, Madison Keys was just. Oh, my God. It was just one of those days where the forehand, the backhand, they were blitzed. And, you know, now that she's beaten Pagula, things start to open up a little bit for her, right? As she's going to take on a Marketa Vondrusova, who knocks out former NCAA singles champion, dear friend of the program, final American Peyton Stearns in three sets. You look uh, for Vondrusova on the day, overcomes at a first set deficit, earns a 7-6, uh, excuse me, six-seven-six-three-six-two 7 6 3 6 2 victory, You know, unfortunately, we saw the emotion. uh, Vondrusova forced to pull out of doubles with Barbara Streseva. Streseva, of course, the former Slam champion, the veteran, playing her last U.S. Open. So you could tell how much it hurt Vondrusova to have to make that decision in order to keep her singles chances alive, in order to recover a little bit more. Hope she gets healthy because, you know, she said it, playing as much tennis as she has this season, the heaviness of the balls they're now using in these hard court events. She's got some elbow pains and... You could tell it was really difficult, especially in set number one for Von Drusova to deal with the overwhelming pace that Peyton Stearns presents. Her serve, her forehand, their top top 25 weapons on hard courts and You know, again, the physicality she brings, the energy she brings. It felt like for the first time in New York, Stearns finally had an American crowd that recognized who she was, the opportunity she had created for herself, and, you know, got in on her energy, got in on her enthusiasm. After every winner, you heard the Peyton Chance, they were giving her support. You know, you could see Von struggle with that. You could tell she was playing a little bit not to lose more so than playing to win in that first set. A lot of forehand slices that were just kind of lofted up and, you know, gave, uh, gave Stearns all sort of time to run around and hit her forehand freely. That said, I keep talking about the conditions in New York. It was hot. It was steamy. Stearns just ran out of legs. 52 unforced errors in the match. 22 of them came in set number three. That's against just seven winners she hit in the set as well. 20 total winners overall in the match. You look for her in set number three. Lowest first serve percentage for her as well. She makes just 52% of those first serves. You could tell Vondrusova did her job. All those chips in set number one, all those extended rallies, those high elevated loopy balls, those, you know, down the line chips that Stearns tries to take inside in down the line with her forehand. Von is anticipating it. She's ready for it. Hits a perfect cross-court shot with depth that gets Stearns now running that extra seven steps and using that en- extra energy that, of course, adds up over the course of the match. I mean, no one spreads the court, working the angles, getting you stretched, death by a thousand paper cuts, as I like to say. No one does that better than Denmark head right now into the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open for the first time in her career. It's been a while since we've seen a Wimbledon champion make the quarterfinals at the subsequent U.S. Open. In fact, I have that stat uh, for all of you via our friends at OpDace. It's the first time since Serena did it back in 2016, so over half a decade you know, again, for Marquette of Andrusova, the numbers weren't the kindest. 23 winners against 29 unforced errors. Now, she did roll in 78% of her first serves, nine aces on the day. You know, converted seven of 12 breakpoint chances in this match. Someone's going to have to go out and beat her because, as we saw, Andrusova isn't going to give away anything for free. She's going to scratch. She's going to claw. She's going to make that extra ball. If Madison Keyes can sustain the level we've seen from her against Pagula, against Samsonova, Madison Keys is winning that match. Madison Keys is getting to the semifinal. That's my quarterfinal preview number two for all of you because, you know, again, Vondrosova is serving well, but the Peyton Stern's backhand return is not nearly as lethal as the Madison Keys backhand return is. You know, Keyes again top fifteen in both hold and break percentage, one of just three players, Hirsch, Fiontek, Goff, you can say that about this year another player who's just seen the ball like a grapefruit right now. Every contact point is perfect and yes Vondrosova plays high and heavy. Yes Vondrosova plays slice, but Vondrosova is going to give Madison Keys time. And listening to Keys in her post-match press conference, listening to her talk to Chris Everett on the ESPN said she said very clearly, the game plan whenever I get an opportunity to move in, move in behind it, be decisive and swing freely. That's what you're seeing from her on court and Honest to God, that's what I expect to see in this quarterfinal battle between the two as well. You look at the career head-to-head between these two, von Drusseva, Keyes playing for the first time here in New York. I think the crowd will be behind Keys. I think eye test-wise, Keyes is just playing better tennis. Obviously, von the elbow banged up. If she's not able to hit through the court freely. Look, the drop-shot lob combination, her ability to, again, get Keys stretched in uncomfortable angles and position. That will generate some errors off of Madison Keys' racket, but she's just not giving away anything for free right now. And when she's not doing that, her power will overwhelm you. Again, Keys is playing as well as anyone remaining in the draw via the eye test, except for maybe Sabalenka, who's just on another level entirely. Keys through and a dominant straight sets over Pagula. Vondrusova, again, the crafty three-set win. Just out-physical Peyton Stearns. There I said it, veteran's guile. And It was the first time she'd been pushed to a third set in this uh, event. You know, again, grinds her way from a set down through. She's up to a new career high, sixth in the live rankings. She's sixth in the points race. She's top 20 in both hold and break percentage. She's, you know, again, the, the thing is Karolina Muhova made the final of the French Open. She's still alive in these quarterfinals as well. So while I think the top five this season has been pretty clear cut in some order, Sviantek, Sabalenka, Rabakina, goff I think Muhova and Vondrusovar have pretty clearly been six and seven. And now it just becomes a real race for who's the eighth best player in the world right now. Probably have to give that nod to Anz, who, by the way, is... You know, still 900 points ahead of 12th place Madison Keys. Now, if Madison Keys wins this event, she'll find herself in the top eight of the points race. She'll knock Jabir down. And honestly, if Keys is your eighth player, I think that's the right top eight from this 2023 season. I suppose Ostapenko, who's 18 points ahead of Keys, she's also got a shot to advance to the tour finals still as well. But I think it's on Madison Keys' racket. I really do think she's going to knock off Marketa Vandrosova, get back to a U.S. Open semifinal. And again, if it's her, if it's Goff, both through to the semifinals, ain't going to be an issue selling tickets in New York. That could be a very, very fun championship weekend for all the American tennis fans there. That said, I'll take both the Americans. I'll take Goff. I'll take Keys to advance to the semifinals. We have not talked a lot about Arena Sabalenka on this show so far this over these two weeks that we spent two and a half years talking about Sabalenka just about every show on this mini break podcast feed I like to think Jeff Sackman David Kane and I created the Sabalenka bandwagon back in that Linz Ostrova 2020 stretch where we were very clear she's winning a slam in the next two years and you look for Arena Sabalenka now she has made the quarterfinals or further at her last five majors and seven of her last nine I mean, remember when it was, a oh, she can't get to a quarterfinal, or oh, she's got those fourth-week yips. Remember then when that was a real conversation at the start of 2021? Yeah, it's just not anymore. And again, it's a credit to Arena Sabalenka. You know, the match was just never in doubt. She absolutely blitzed Daria Kasatkina in their fourth round, a 1-3 victory. She hasn't played a set closer than 6-3 at this event quarterfinal semi semi's title those are her four results at the slam so far this year you look for sabalenka overall on the year now she also moves to a ridiculous 48 and 10 number one in the world, has now been number one in both singles and doubles. Now she was the first to say, I'm not satisfied by this world number one crowning. I want to really earn it by capturing the title here. She said she would have loved to earn it with a win over Iga as well. You got to respect her acknowledgement that that's the rivalry, maybe over the next half decade moving forward on the WTA Tour. But for the first time this year, I feel comfortable listening to a, not, not comfortable listening to, well, no, no. no. Yeah, that's what it is. For the first time this year, if you want to say Arena Sabalenka is the best player in the world right now, I'll hear the argument. I wasn't ready to believe it even after, you know, again, the runs at Wimbledon at the French Open, how she's followed everything up since Australia's successes in Stuttgart and, you know, Indian Wells and Madrid reaching all those big event finals. And again, 48 and 10 sort of speaks for itself. She's ascended to world number one. She's obviously had an exceptional season. But, you know, there's, it's one thing to take over world number one, and it's another to, de- to be declared unequivocally the best player in the world. And you watch just the way, you know, she breaks Kasichina right away to start, one love. Gets broken right back for one all, five straight games from there. Like, just Kasichina could not hurt her. And Sabalenka, who moves so well for her size, so well for the power that she possesses, she was everywhere— and it was, okay, congrats to Kasakina. You extended the rally by one shot on this one. Don't worry, my next four hands go into the open space, and good luck tracking that ball down. Or, again, her success moving forward to the net, boxing things off comfortably. She was 11 of 15 there, 31 winners against 23 unforced errors. You know, again, three of the four games that she lost in this one of three, uh, uh, in this one and three result were on serve. So, you know, even with how good Kasekina is as a returner, Sabalenka just— was not, again, Kasekina doesn't have the first serve to pressure the bigger backswings, particularly that bigger forehand return backswing for Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka crushed through everything. She was dominant, like... There's not much to reflect from this match. The One player was so definitively better than the other. This result was never in doubt. 1-3 win for Sabalenka. Has yet to drop a set. Cruises into a quarterfinal match with, by the way, a player I predicted would reach the quarterfinals of this event. Not to give myself props, but I'm almost relieved because I had said all year long, 20-year-old Junction Wen has all the characteristics to be a top 10 player on the WTA Tour for the next decade. Plus the the serve, the pace, the heaviness of shot, not just, you know, not just the pure power she plays, but the topspin she's able to generate, the different attacking angles she's able to produce, drive on the backhand wing, cross-court, or line, the loopiness of her forehand, that ball comes in high and heavy as just a different sort of pace to throw you off. She's started mixing in the drop shot. Obviously, she's been a top 15 server now for the majority of the past two years, and even if the technique of that serve isn't great, the pace itself is certainly noticeable. The action she can get on the ball... You know, she faced someone in Anjabur who had just had to go to war through her first three matches, six and five with Osorio, or five and six, excuse me, three sets against Naskova, three sets to advance a survival in round number three against Bojkova as well. You know, went overwhelmed her by matching the physicality of those three earlier Jabur opponents and by having a little more chutzpah behind her ball as well. Now, went only made 40%. Of her first serves in this match that's why her getting through two and four it was a little surprising but it's also noted you know again jabber 33 unforced errors against 17 winners in this match Jabir only made 48 percent of her first serves Jabir, you know again despite facing someone hitting making only 40 percent of her first serves was only able to generate five break points for herself now she broke three times but you know chin went six of 12 on break point chances There were, what, 18 games in this match? Nine total breaks of serve. Solid, solid returning games for each of these players. Chinwen was the more explosive. Chinwen was the more dynamic. Chinwen was the fresher. Of the two. And again, with the margins as thin as they are right now on the WTA Tour, that's why I said, you know, from a schedule standpoint, it always looks like things were opening up for Jung Chin-Wen. Even after rounds one, round two, you could just see the pathway for her to reach the quarterfinals were there. And after a tough three-set wins over Kanepi, after almost handing things away to Bronzetti from a set and a break up, forced into a third, this was Chin-Wen's best performance. First serve aside, this was her best baseline performance of the event. And I like to think she showed off what I've been reiterating all tournament long. Not only does she have that pace, but there's an underlying physicality. I think very quietly, Chinwen is actually at her most comfortable when she's six feet behind the baseline, when she's grinding, elevating shots, extending rallies. That's what she was able to do, obviously, uh, in this match against Jabir. just felt like the first slice and the first strike it wasn't there, Forgeaber, who again had a sloppy, sloppy performance. Now for her to even grind her way to the fourth round given, you know, the illnesses she faced, the adversity she faced in her opening matches, I do think in a vacuum, this was a successful slog for Anjabur at this 2023 U.S. Open. That said, fourth-round exit. Uh, that means she's in a little danger if Keys gets hot, if Ostapenko gets hot down the tournament's home stretch. She's sitting at seven in the rankings as well. Muhova can pass her with one more victory at this event. And again, she'll play here on Tuesday. So... Jabir's in a little bit of trouble, could fall out of the top 10 this year if she doesn't continue to play matches, doesn't play Guadalajara, doesn't play San Diego, which will be fascinating to see what she does given the various nicks and bruises she's picked up this year. But, you know, again, that's a really good win for Jung Chin Wen. And, you know, unfortunately for Chin Wen, I just she runs into the buzzsaw that is Arena Sabalenka, and Sabalenka just been so good. Like, again, the separation of Sabalenka, Keys and the rest of the field, they're just playing a different level than everyone else right now. I do think they're on a collision course in the semifinals. I do think those are the two best players I've seen with my eyes from the start of this event. It's power versus power. Sabalenka's just been executing better. If, if Chinwen only makes 40% of her first serves against Sabalenka, is going to slaughter her because Sabalenka has just been untouched so far. She's so confident. She's so fluid. And she got the big victory, right? She she gets the win to consolidate her world number one position, beating Kasikuna in a definitive hour-long straight set match. First career head-to-head between the two. You know, again... I worry that big backswing, that big loop on the forehand side for Chin Wen, is going to be able to expose that with her power, going to be able to attack that side on the serve in particular. You know, again, Chin Wen likes uh, – backhand-to-backhand exchanges will be fun. Chin Wen has the athleticism to extend matches. She hits the ball as well. On, you know, again, I think there's a, a top tier of movers on the slide – in the women's game right now. I think Svantec's 1A. I think Goff is 1B. I think Chinwen is 1C. And then I actually think there's a delta towards everything else. I think those three actually hit the ball that well. They drive through the ball that well when they're sliding from behind the baseline in defensive positioning. Chinwen's the sort of athlete that, again, at least has the firepower, the pop, for the first time in this event to do some damage to Sabalenka. It's also been an ideal draw from a matchup perspective for Sabalenka in the sense that she's yet to face anyone who can really hurt her. Sabalenka's getting through. I think we're getting the the, the fireworks of Sabalenka keys in the semifinals. And, you know, again, I think that matches at least a one-tiebreaker, sort of three-set thriller, a lot of holds of serve, a lot of first-strike tennis. I expect Sabalenka to advance. And then last but certainly not least, and I'll be sure to spend more time on these two ma- uh, two players when we get to our quarterfinal breakdown. How about Carolina Muhova? Healthy this season for the first time in, what, two, two and a half years. She finals the French Open. You know, you look at what she was able to do at Wimbledon. I know she got knocked out three sets there, but subsequently what I- – I said Wimbledon. Excuse me. What she was able to do in Cincinnati, making the finals there – now into the quarterfinals here at the U.S. Open. And you look for Karolina Muhova now overall. She's made the quarterfinals at all four majors. This is her first U.S. Open quarterfinals. She's made semis Australia, finals French, two quarterfinals for her at Wimbledon. Yeah, This is someone who turned 26 years old at the end of August. Excuse me, 27 years old at the end of August in the prime of her career. And I believe in the top 200, there's like 13 players who have made the, uh, the quarterfinals or further at all four majors active right now. So... Look, credit to Wong Shinyu, made this match far more competitive than I expected. I thought for Yu, you know, again, the totality of what she had done in Cleveland, what she had done through the first week, a couple of three-set wins, I thought that would add up for her versus a Muhova who had yet to drop a set, who had advanced fairly comfortably. Now, you could see Muhova was uncomfortable from the start in this match. She was... More frustrated with her player box than I think I've seen her all week long. Now, it's also worth noting she made 23 of her 37 errors in the second set, a set that she ultimately dropped to Wang Xinyu, who's serve, who's forehand, who's sneaky quick and just her strength, her ability to hold her ground. You know, again, the slices that Muhova threw at her didn't make her uncomfortable. Muhova likes to get outside the ball, play short angle, but you do have time to track that ball down. Wang Shinyu was able to do so, was able to apply some pressure with the depth she's able to generate on every ground stroke, get that ball into the Muhova forehand. I actually thought Wang Shinyu won the forehand-to-forehand exchanges, but look, there's just a degree of physicality Muhova brought that... Unfortunately Wang Yu was not able to match now again for the 21 from China 21 year old from China 39 in the live rankings, top 50 in the points race. It's been a breakout season for her. She's someone you have to circle perhaps to make another leap forward or certainly to watch, see if she can consolidate her position in her age 22, 2024 season. But it's a really good win for Muhova, who now will take on the veteran Serrana Kirsteia. You look for Serana Curstea It had been a while since we had seen her in the quarterfinal of a major. You look for her, her last and only other quarterfinal coming at the French open in 2009 now this was your least surprising upset of the day ultimately Kirsteja earning a, a straight set victory over uh, Belinda Bencic six what three six three Bencic couldn't match Kirsteja's physicality Physi- uh, Kirsteja was more than capable of absorbing that first blow first strike first serve first forehand combination Bencic like to throw at her again the the the, the I don't know if this is highest compliment, but the clearest thing I can say is that this match was never in doubt, that Serrana Kirstea was in control from the start. And you know, again, ultimately, that's what we saw Kirstea execute. She earns a three, uh, a straight set three and three victory with this result. Serana Kirstea, who again, let's be clear, 33 years old, she's currently sitting 26 in the live rankings, five off her career high. You compound this quarterfinal with the semifinal she made in Miami. I'm sure she's going to get near, making near, if not more than a million dollars here this season, which age 33, not the worst place to be as a veteran. You look for her now. Her career high win total was 34 back in 2013. I don't know if there's enough tennis left enough of a runway for her to match that 34 number but she's going to be a top 40 player in the world entering 2024 which means again you know doesn't have too many pockets of points to defend this season 1 125k back in May obviously has that Miami Open semifinal to defend but now has the US Open quarterfinal to serve as you know again the foundation for everything she accomplishes through the first 9 months of 2024 in her ranking so again It's a really good win for Kirste, a little disappointing for Bencic. It just feels like that's the match we've seen her lose so frequently uh, over her career. But, you know, again, Kirste is just on it. I think there's a lot of similarities between her and and Garbine Muguruza. It's just... You know, there are days when the calibration's off for Kirstea, but when she is locked in physically, when she wants to make you suffer and when she's willing to extend that extra rally, when she's able to spring on a backhand down the line when you least expect it, all these different things, uh, you know, again— uh, Kirstay could be an absolute nightmare. That's why she's been a top fifty player for much of the past decade. You look at the matchup between her and Muhova, our final quarterfinal in the women's singles draw. Muhova three and one in the career head-to-head, two and one in the last uh, year she beat her. Straight sets Dubai, straight sets Montreal, five and four. Kirstea beating Muhova five and one during her run in Miami. Muhova also beat Kirstea seven six in the third, back in the third round of the twenty twenty three U.S. Open. It's a very physical match. I I would say the biggest weapon on the court, probably the serve plus one combination of Karolina Muchova. I'd give her the edge in moving forward. I don't give either player the edge in physicality because I think they're both moving exceptionally well right now. I think Kirstea's ability to come over the top of the backhand, drive it line is probably a little bit better than Muchova's, but Muchova just has so much more variety in her game, her ability to play the slice, her ability to play the short angles, her willingness and comfort level to move forward. I just don't know if Kirsteia, as well as she is playing, as good as she is at everything, it just feels like you need to be great right now to beat Karolina Muchova. You have to be better at her than something. You have to have something you can constantly pick on, whether it's pace through her forehand or, you know, again, an ability to punish anytime she leaves a slice hanging. That's just not Kirsteia's game. I, while I think this match is going to be two hours, I think it could be a 4-4, four and 4-5 four, four and five affair, I feel pretty confident that Carolina Mukhova is going to get through. And again, by my predictions, it would be Goff versus Mukhova, Keys versus Sabalenka, unequivocally four of the ten best players we've seen in my opinion, in this 2023 season. If that's what we're blessed with for our final Slam Championship weekend, sign me up for that right now. Again, all the matchups are good. And you look according to Tennis Abstract, one more time, Goff, a 71.2% favorite. Sabalenka, a 72% favorite. Von a 57.7% favorite over Keys, And Mukhova, a 67.6% favorite over Kirsteja. That's my thoughts on everything that's happened again. Iga Swiatek knocked out. That said, I do think for the first time we can say the best player in the world in 2023, Arena Sabalanka. She is still alive in this event. You've got other top teners again, Goff, Vandrusova, Sabal uh, excuse me, Goff, Vandrusova, Muhova, Keys, in my opinion, have all been top ten if not top 12 players during this season. You look for keys again, back-to-back quarterfinals. Her case is probably the thinnest as she doesn't have a major final like the others do, but... Look at the stats, win percentage, career high, top 15 in both hold and break percentage. We're in a really good spot heading into this second week, this championship stretch of the 2023 U.S. Open. And again, as I promised at the start, we will be back every day remaining this week to talk about everything that happens at this year's final major. major, Of course, we will also be back here in a little bit to catch you up on all things happening in the men's singles draw. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of this content possible a shout out as well to our dear friends at tennis point tennis point dash point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with all of that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both Cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we will talk to you all later today thanks everyone